Good afternoon, everyone. It's good to see those of you who are here. We're missing a few people, but uh, good to see all of you. A number of our men are out visiting other areas uh, today, and I uh, look forward to seeing them next time. You might want to remember to remind everyone of the change location for next week. It's awfully easy to forget, and it seems to me that if you come here, it's going to be hard to get to the other place in time, so you might just uh, give somebody a call or a tweet or something like that to let them know that we're having a different location next time. <clears throat> I remember becoming an uncle for the first time and how strange that sounded uh, because I didn't seem to be old enough to be an uncle. I was only 21 at the time, and all of my uncles were significantly older than that. <clears throat> of course, it took me a little while to figure out that they were probably about that age when I became their nephew. And we always look at things from wherever we are at the moment. My new niece was born without hair, and she stayed that way for three or four years. And uh, she could have been in the running for the oldest kid without hair. But part of the problem was that she was a redhead, and so it blended in with her skull fairly well, and it was not uh, overly abundant starting out, but uh, eventually her hair did come in. She grew up to be rather tall, so she was a tall redhead. It's been quite a number of years since I've seen her, and I still think of her as a young woman in her late 20s, maybe early 30s. seems like that was the last time that I saw her, maybe mid-30s, but I always think of her as being fairly young. But this coming May, she'll be 50 years of age. And that doesn't seem possible to me that she could be that old. Of course, that is if she lives until then, because we have no guarantees how long we'll live. And I received a call from my sister last Sunday telling me that my niece has cancer. And it's a very rare form of cancer. Even when it does strike, it's rare, but it usually affects black males. Why she would have this kind of cancer, we don't know, but for whatever reason, she does. And it's fairly advanced, so she may not make it to the age of 50, the month of May. No one knows for sure. Maybe too early to know, but maybe she'll live 20 years or more. Maybe she'll outlive me. We don't know how long it'll be. Life is like that. There are no guarantees as to how long we will live. Some people live to 100 or more years of age. I remember Ed Turpa up in Michigan. He lived out in the middle of nowhere. He lived to be 102, and he was pretty spry all the way up to the end. He'd get up every morning on the Sabbath and get ready for services, hoping somebody would come to pick him up, because he didn't know with the weather the way it was, whether somebody would make it. This was northern Michigan, a lot of snow up there. But he'd be ready in case somebody picked him up. He didn't know that he was going home that night or staying over someplace. He just knew he was going to keep the Sabbath, and nothing ever seemed to shake him. If he was at somebody's house and he got tired, he'd just take a nap, that's probably one reason he lived that long. He never seemed to be bothered by anything. But then there are others who die relatively young, even as infants. 
There are no guarantees in this physical existence, at least not how long we're going to live. Death comes to all. One individual who thought a lot about the subject was Solomon. In Ecclesiastes, the 8th chapter, Ecclesiastes 8, we read many comments by Solomon about life and death and the purpose of it. But in verse 8, Ecclesiastes 8, verse 8, it says, No one has power over the Spirit to retain the Spirit. And no one has power in the day of death. There is no release from that war. And wickedness will not deliver those who are given to it. There is no way that you or I can beat this thing called death. At least not in the physical sense. Even if we live till Christ's return, the physical body is going to die. I think that many of us would hope that that's the way it would be for us because then we would never experience the dying process, although in one way or another we're going through that all the time. In Ecclesiastes, the ninth chapter, beginning in verse 2, it says, All things come alike to all. One event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good, the clean, and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As is the good, so is the sinner. He who takes an oath as he who fears an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun. That one thing happens to all. Truly the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil. Madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that they go to the dead. We're all going to be there someday and I don't know that that's all that encouraging. Maybe it's not the encouraging way to start out a sermon. But it's reality. It is truth. That whether we're good or whether we're bad, whether we're righteous or unrighteous, no matter who we are in this life, we all face the same fate, rich or poor alike. It goes on to say, verse 4, but... For him who is joined to all the living, there is hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Verse 6, also their love, their hatred, all of our emotions, and their envy have now perished. Nevermore will they have a share in anything done under the sun. At least not, again, in the physical sense. Notice verse 12 of the same chapter, Ecclesiastes 9, verse 12. For man also does not know his time. Like fish taken in a cruel net, like birds caught in a snare, so the sons of men are snared in an evil time when it falls suddenly upon them. You know, it's interesting that in, in movies... You always know when something bad is going to happen because the music tells you it's going to happen. You know, if the monster is going to jump out from behind the corner, you know that it's going to happen because the music tells you so. And you also know that there are certain expendable characters. You watch movies where the monsters eat somebody. You know who the expendables are pretty early on. 
And you just know that sooner or later this person is going to die. And you know that the hero and the heroine are always going to survive no matter what. But that's not reality. That's not life. We don't have music leading up to death. Even car accidents, sometimes you hear the screech of tires. But sometimes you don't. It just happens very quickly. Like a snare, like a cruel net, so the sons of men are snared in an evil time when it falls suddenly upon them. People die in their sleep. They die of heart attacks. All kinds of things can happen to us. And Psalm 49, Psalm 49, and we'll begin in verse 6. says, those who trust in their wealth and boast in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of their souls is costly, and it shall cease forever, that he should continue to live eternally and not see the pit or the grave. We cannot redeem a brother, a niece, an uncle. An aunt. We can't even redeem our own lives. Now, God can, but we can't. We have no power over that in the sense of preserving this physical life. In Psalm 89, Psalm 89 and verse 46, it says, How long, eternal, will you hide yourself forever? Will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is. How short our time is. And it takes a while in life before we finally realize that. When we're 16, we think we will live forever. Oh, we know academically that we'll get old. And I, I remember thinking when I was young, you know, you have all these love thoughts of growing old and living with somebody to your old age. Then when you get there, you realize that old age brings arthritis and rheumatism and this doesn't work and that doesn't work. And it's not so romantic anymore, is it? And the shocking thing is how fast we get here. It seems like a long time, but it happens. And as I've said before, the way that you get to be 70 years of age if you're 16 is you just keep waking up each day. If you wake up each morning... You will be there. It happens. And it happens a lot quicker than we think because time seems to speed up. When we're young, it seems to go so slow. But the older we get, the faster it goes, seemingly. It's because we have various comparisons. We slow down as well. And so time goes by much more quickly. But here it says in... Uh, Verse 47, remember how short my time is. For what futility have you created all the children of men? What man can live and not see death? Can he deliver his life from the power of the grave? Of course, that's a rhetorical question. We can't deliver ourselves from the power of the grave. 
You know, death is a part of life. And that sounds like a contradiction, that death is a part of life. It is the end result of life. However, God has given us hope. And that hope is a lively hope. And that hope that we have is the resurrection from the dead. And that's my subject today, is the resurrection of the dead and the hope that God has given to us. As we mentioned, or I mentioned earlier, in the book of Ecclesiastes, the the King Solomon thought a lot about this very subject. So let's go back there, Ecclesiastes 6, and we'll begin in verse 3. He says, If a man begets a hundred children and lives many years, so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with goodness, or indeed he has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better than he. It really doesn't matter how long we live in this life. We go back to the very beginning of man on this earth, and they lived up into their 900s, not their 90s, but their 900s. And yet, as they got toward the end, they must have thought that it went by quickly. They must have realized that time was running out and began to number their days when they got up there. It says, verse 2, make sure I'm in the right spot here. Where are we? Ecclesiastes 6, verse 3, sorry. Verse 4. For it comes in vanity and departs in darkness, and its name is covered with darkness. Though it has not seen the sun or known anything, this has more rest than that man. Now we're speaking of a stillborn child. He says, even if he lives a thousand years twice, that's two thousand years, but has not seen goodness, do not all go to one place. We still end up in the same place. In the third chapter, Solomon makes an interesting observation, a very simple statement here. In verse 11, Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11, it says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. Isn't it interesting that God has put into our hearts and our minds eternity? When you think about the difference between man and the animals, as much as we can understand, I mean, we can't go inside an animal's brain, but it would seem that animals do not comprehend eternity. They do understand death. They have a fear, a natural fear, an instinct that God's put in them. And we know that when... Two animals are close, and one dies, the other literally grieves over the loss of the other. Sometimes they will lay down and stop eating and die themselves, or they'll just mope about. Animals have emotions, but do they comprehend eternity? Do they comprehend what it means to live a long time? And having a hope of life, to come, of life after death. They have no hope of a resurrection. I think that we, again, we can't go into the mind of an animal, but I think that we are fairly certain that they 
do not consider eternal life. They don't think they're going to come back and live forever. And yet that's something that God has put into the hearts of man. He's given us the hope of eternal life, of living forever. In Genesis, the 49th chapter, there's an interesting conversation that takes place. Genesis 49. Actually, 47. Sorry about that. Genesis 47 and verse 7. This is when Joseph introduced his father to Pharaoh. It says in verse 7, Then Joseph brought in his father Jacob and set him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, Now this is interesting because his immediate question is, How old are you? That must indicate that Jacob looked like an old man at that time. He must have recognized something there and just wondered, well, how old are you? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days are the years of my pilgrimage. He understood that this life is a pilgrimage. It's a time that we spend in this physical existence are 130 years. Now, I think that most of us, if we were in decent health, would think that 130 years is a good long life, and we, as we look forward to that, we'd think, well, that's pretty good. If I could live just to be 130 and be in good health and enjoy life, that would be as much success as one could possibly hope for. We don't see people living to be 130 today. There are some that live into their hundreds a ways, but 130, I don't know of anybody in recent time that has been recorded to have lived quite that long, 120, 122 perhaps, but not 130. But he lived to be 130 at that point, and he says, Few, notice, few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage. So he recognized that his fathers had lived longer father, grandfather, etc. But 130 years was a long time, and yet he said his days were few. And, as he says here, evil have been the days of the years of my life. When we think about all the trouble that we have in life, we think whatever our age might be at the time, we spend approximately a third of it in sleep, we spend a certain amount of that time brushing our teeth, taking showers, getting up, going to bed, doing various things, taking care of our, our bodily needs, and then going off to school or to work, a lot of times not always exciting. I don't care what your job is. There are moments when there becomes boredom or routine. Some people want to be airline pilots. They think that would really be exciting, flying planes. And yet, as one pilot said, I may have mentioned this before, pardon me if I tell a story or two that you've heard, even though I've not been here very long. He said that uh, flying is 98% boredom and 2% sheer terror. So I'm not sure which you like, the sheer terror or the boredom. That's the way that life is, isn't it? Some truckers like the idea of driving the big rig across the country and seeing all the country and everything, but 
when they get tired and they're sleepy and they're fighting it, I'm sure they find those hours to be boring and difficult. Every job has its trials. Every job has its dull moments to it. Even school. Some people like to learn. Some people like to study. There are always those classes or those subjects, those uh, teachers, whatever it might be, that are not so exciting. So, Jacob, I'm sorry, yeah, Jacob said that his days were few and evil. And when you look at all the trouble that he went through with his 12 sons, and at least one daughter that's mentioned, he found himself in trouble from time to time, didn't he? He had difficult times. He thought he had lost Joseph, and for a number of years lived with the loss of that favorite son at that time. Our days can be evil. We can have so many difficult things. We can be sick. How many days of life are we sick? And that's not much fun. So it is interesting that he describes his pilgrimage as such. It is appointed for man to die. 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 52, uh, 22. 15-22. It says, for as in Adam all died, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Now that's the exciting part of it, that all shall be made alive. I say that's the exciting part, depends on which resurrection you're in. One resurrection may not be so exciting. It may not be such a, a great thing. But for those of us who are here, we look forward to the fact that we will live again. As in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ at his coming. But remember it says that all you know, shall die, but even so all shall be made alive. So we know that all will come up in a resurrection. The first, the second, or as we describe it, the third resurrection. Those who are going to be thrown in the lake of fire will have to come up be thrown into that lake of fire. I have to be resurrected for that time. In Hebrews, the ninth chapter, Hebrews 9, and verse 27, it says, As it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. There is a judgment that is coming. Of course, we know that God is judging us right now. But there is coming a time when God is going to let us know how that judgment is gone or how, what His decision is concerning us. Notice John 5. John 5. And verse 26. Here is Jesus speaking. And He says, for as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son to have life in Himself, and has given Him authority to execute judgment also, because He is the Son of Man. And then in verse 28 He says, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear His voice, that is, the voice of the Son of God. 
and some and, and come forth those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. So all are going to come forth. There is coming that time when we will have the opportunity to live again. Even though we die in this life, we'll have an opportunity for life later on. Matthew 25. Matthew 25. Here's a very familiar passage of Scripture. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but just refer to it here, uh, to most of it. And Matthew 35, I'm sorry, 25 and verse 31. says, when the Son of Man comes in His glory, that's when He comes back, and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. So He's going to separate people when He sits on the throne of His glory. Some are sheep, some are goats. Now we have to take this all into account with the second resurrection and everything, and I'm not going to go into that today, but the time is coming when everyone will be placed in one category or another. And here Jesus is trying to get across a certain point that the way that we live, not the things that we do in a religious sense, but the things, the very way of life that we have, whether we're living with outgoing concern toward others, thinking of others more highly than ourselves, or neglecting others and just thinking of the self, that's going to matter as to whether we are a sheep or a goat. And so he says here, he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. And then we know that he describes those who have fed the hungry and visited those in prison and given others a drink of water when they need it. And then he separates those, or those are one category and the others that don't. You can read this. We're very familiar with it. But it comes down to verse 46, and it says, And these will go away into everlasting punishment. Those are the goats but the righteous into everlasting or eternal life. The righteous into eternal life. Now, eternal life is pretty spectacular when you think about it because we're told elsewhere that He's going to wipe away all tears and there will be neither sorrow nor crying. Not going to be anything negative at that time, but to live for all of eternity and never again fear death. Now, I don't think that we all, quote, are you know, trembling about death, but it's on the mind of all of us at one time or another. What we really don't want is the dying process because that might be painful. But to just go to sleep, uh, we all think of it that way. I wish I could just go to sleep and not wake up. That's, that happens to some, but most most of the time, that's not the way that we die. It doesn't happen quite that easily, or at least there's some lead-up to it with sickness and so forth. It's not always that pleasant. But it shows here that the righteous are going to come forth into eternal life. And when you think about it, when we nod off to death, it's not even going to be an instant in time for us. In 
and suddenly we'll be in the resurrection. A thousand or ten thousand years could go by, and we'd never know it. A million years could go by. Not that it will, but a million years could go by, and it'd just be the next instant, like the snapping of your fingers, even faster than that, because once you're unconscious, boom, there you are in the resurrection. I remember one time being put out. I'm sure that many of you have been put out one way or another, uh, operation or some procedure, or maybe you were knocked out. And, and you really don't remember going to sleep. You just remember if you were being put out for an operation or something, maybe somebody counting down from 100 to 100, and uh, that's it. And next thing you know, you're waking up. And you have no idea how many minutes or hours went by. It's just that quick. It's a wonderful thing to think about. And then to be able to live for all of eternity, eternal life, without any pain, without any suffering. Eternal life must not be an afterthought. And I think for most people on this earth, it is an afterthought. I don't think I know it is. It's not something that is foremost in their minds. People want to put it off. I've conducted many funeral services, as all of our ministers have, if they've been in the ministry any length of time. And as you're speaking to the audience there, you can look out there and you'll see certain individuals that are really with you, what you're saying. They're looking interested. But most of the people out there really don't care, unless it's a church audience. But you've got a lot of people that really don't care because, see, they go to the funeral service and today... It's, uh, you know, they, they may have rock music, they may have all kinds of things, depending on who this person was. They may be telling jokes, they may be telling humorous stories. They, they, they want to hear all kinds of good things. Let's celebrate the life of this individual. Okay, I can understand that. But then at some point, they all know that the Holy Joe has to get up there. You know, that, that's me. That's Dr. Meredith. That's uh, all of our ministry. Uh, we're going to get up there, and they're just hoping it'll be over as quickly as possible. They, they want a short service, so we try to make it short. But they, they want that part of the service to go as quickly as possible because anything that we say is not going to be very real to them because eternal life is not real. God is not real to them. Even when you're talking to a supposedly Christian audience, People really don't get it. They talk about somebody going off to heaven, but they're not excited about heaven. Who would be? Especially when you consider that the greatest joy of heaven is the beatific vision staring into the face of God for all of eternity like a little puppy dog. That is going to be the most exciting thing? I don't think so. And I remember when I was young, we used used to sing this song, I've got, a hope in, or I've got a home in glory land that outshines the sun. And I can remember this kind of this broken down shack off there just with the sun behind it and the sun is setting. And it, it didn't excite me very much. Now maybe somebody else was thinking of some great mansion. I don't know. I was thinking just a kind of a broken down shack there. I don't know why, but it's kind of weird. But that's the way it was. Wasn't very exciting at all. And I don't think that most people are very excited about going to heaven. 
I'm not going to say there aren't people because I'm sure that there are some people that really get excited about going to heaven. But my thought when I was growing up is I just don't want to go to that other place. That's all. I'm not excited about one, but the, you know, if you have to, the lesser of the two evils. So you try to be a little bit good, just good enough, not understanding what it's all about, not comprehending it. When you give a funeral service, you just realize that. that most people aren't thinking about it. They've tuned out. They don't want to think about the purpose of life, why they're here, and the possibility. Because if they really did, you would think they would spend some time trying to figure it out. Some serious time studying this book and whatever other book they want to study, but trying to figure it out. But I think they just give up. You know, Satan robs mankind of hope. He takes away that hope. He makes everything unreal. My atheist, Uncle George, uh, and he was pretty vile as an individual. An interesting madman, you might say. Quite intelligent in a lot of respects. In some ways, not so intelligent. But nevertheless, he read the Bible. But he read it through the lens of modern Christianity. And he read it to try to disprove it. And he looked at Easter as an example, going out and looking for eggs when he was five years old. And he said to to my grandmother, rabbits don't lay eggs. Later he said, you lied to me. Rabbits don't lay eggs. That's when I began to question religion. True story. And he could look at Christmas and say that it comes from Mithraism and various other things. He went through the whole history of Christmas with me one time. And that's when I said to him, well, Uncle George, that's right. That's why I don't keep Christmas, do you? And here was the atheist who keeps Christmas because other people gave him gifts. He felt like he had to. But isn't it interesting? He... He had no hope because Christianity robbed him of that hope. Of a hope that that made sense to a logical mind. And people who have a logical mind look at it and they say, this doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. Satan has robbed us of that hope. And yet God has offered us hope in Titus, the first chapter. Titus. The first chapter, verse 2. I'll start with verse 1. It says, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness, truth which accords with godliness, and hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. God has promised eternal life. He has given us that hope. And if God is God, that is a living hope. A hope that you and I can take to the bank, that we can expect to have. One of the things when I first was converted, I didn't fully understand the 
the sacrifice of Christ in the, the fullest sense, and I always walked around feeling guilty. And I understood academically certain things, but it took a number of years before I, I really realized that, look, if I'm doing what I'm supposed to do and Christ is my high priest and he is my advocate, I don't have to worry if I die today whether I'm going to be in the kingdom of God. And I think sometimes as Christians we, we do worry about those things. Now, if you're out there, you know, pouring around and getting drunk and things like that, maybe you should worry about it. But if you're having that relationship with your Creator, if you're talking to Him daily, if you're letting Him talk to you through Bible study, and you're striving to overcome, and when you do slip and fall, you get up and you ask for forgiveness, we know that we have the sacrifice of Christ has happened on our behalf. We've accepted that sacrifice, and we can be confident that if we die tonight, we will be resurrected. We don't have to walk around in fear all the time. But he says, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. We have that hope because we have a living God, a powerful God, a God who will keep His Word. And we can claim that promise. In the third chapter, and verse 7, it says, that having been justified by His grace, notice justified, that is having our past sins forgiven by His grace, by His unmerited pardon, by His goodness, we, shall, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That is our hope. That is what we look forward to. In 1 Peter, the third chapter, 1 Peter 3, And verse 15, one of the most, I think, misunderstood verses, we use it very often, we quote it from time to time, but I think incorrectly, not that we quote it correctly, but we don't understand it correctly, it says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So often we read that to mean that we always have to give a defense for every question that comes up. He says, give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason of the hope that is in you. That's what we are to give an answer for, the hope that is in us. Now, another scripture shows that we are to study to show ourselves approved, a workman that does not need to be ashamed. But this verse here is talking about being able to give a defense for the hope that is in us. And what is that hope? Is it not the resurrection? Isn't this exactly what the Apostle Paul did in Acts 23? Acts 23. Here he was being questioned. Before the, the council. And in verse 6. It says, but when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, 
I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. And he then made his defense. The hope and the resurrection of the dead. He knew that that was his hope. And, of course, yes, he did stir the pot a little bit in that crowd where there was a difference of opinion and pretty soon they were ready to tear him apart. Some wanted him on his side, their side and vice versa. But it doesn't fully end there in the 24th chapter, beginning in verse 10. It says, Then Paul, after the governor... Uh, this is uh, uh, Felix, I believe it was. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Paul, after the governor had nodded to him to speak, answered, Inasmuch as I know you have been for many years a judge of this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself, because you may ascertain that it is no more than twelve days since I went up to Jerusalem to worship. And they neither found me in the temple disputing with anyone, nor inciting the crowd, either in the synagogue or in the city, nor can they prove the things of which you now, they now accuse me. But this I confess to you, verse 14, that according to the way which they call a sect, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. So he is referring back to the law and the prophets, and he is showing that in the Law and the Prophets, we are given hope. He says, I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. This was something that was understood. I read someplace one time that the, the Old Testament doesn't offer hope of the resurrection. And, and I don't know how they could possibly intelligent scholarly individual could say that. Because, as we shall see, there is the hope of the resurrection, even in the Old Testament. But Paul is defending himself, and he is using the hope of the resurrection as his defense. He's saying, look, this is what, what I've been teaching. I've been teaching that Jesus Christ was resurrected, and that through Christ we also can be resurrected to be a part of God's family, to be born into that kingdom. And so it has to do with the resurrection of the dead. It has to do with eternal life, and that's what this is all about. This is what the whole book is about, that you and I can live forever. This time right now is just temporary. This is our pilgrimage. This is just a short time. And, and it's so hard for us as human beings, isn't it? Because we're just made in such a way that we want to be satisfied right now. When we're hungry, we want to eat right now. When we're tired, we want to sleep right now. When we want some form of entertainment, we want it right now. And our whole life is that way. And that, yes, we sometimes postpone pleasure for something greater if we can see what that greater good is. For example, a young person graduates from high school and he can see that, well, if I spend four more years of my life in school, I'll have a better life after that, if, depending on what he takes in, in the university, depending how well he does. You've got to choose the right courses, something that's going to be of some value afterward. 
But if somebody decides he wants to be an engineer, civil engineer or something, that's a pretty good direction to go for some people. Uh, if you have the aptitude for it and the liking for it, you can see that I can give four more years and I get something afterward. But would you give 40 years of study for that? Or would you want to get on with your life? Would you want to postpone marriage and postpone everything for 40 years? Probably not. For four, five, or six, or seven years, you might. But generally speaking, we want it now. We want happiness at this time, not later on. But Paul is saying it is the hope. He had hope in God, which they themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. So Paul lived his life with that understanding. And his whole life was moving in the direction of being resurrected someday, of having eternal life. And that's the reason in so many ways that we're here. I'm not saying we don't have the responsibility to preach the gospel of the world. That's what God wants of us now. That's why he called us now instead of later on. He's going to get something out of us. But nevertheless, when you bring it to the bottom line, isn't that what everybody wants is eternal life? I know I've heard some people say that, well, they really wouldn't want to live forever. Well, of course, in this flesh they wouldn't. But in the kingdom of God with with a, a new body that never has pains or aches and, and, and with opportunities that we can't even imagine at this time, uh, that that's what we would really want. Most people that say that, well, they don't want to live forever, they don't usually get to that place. As long as they're in good health, they most people... And their mental state is okay. They, they, they want to live another day. We, we always do. We want something a little bit more. There's always something just beyond the horizon that we're chasing after. In 1 Peter, the first chapter, 1 Peter 1 and verse 3, It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy, and we can thank God for His abundant mercy, and it truly is abundant, has begotten us again to a living hope. God's Spirit in us, begetting us with His very Spirit, has begotten us to a living hope. through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because Jesus Christ is resurrected, He will resurrect us. He will give us life. He has paved the way for us. He has shown us the way. And just as He came back to life, so can we. The resurrection eternal life, is the message of the Bible. You say resurrection, maybe it's better to say eternal life is the message of the Bible. Man is given the opportunity to choose between two trees at the very beginning. The tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
But that tree of the knowledge of good and evil led to death. The tree of life was a tree of the right kind of knowledge, the right kind of um, of understanding. At the very beginning, God was our man was given a choice. He could take of the tree of life and live forever, or he could die. In the book of Deuteronomy, God gave that same choice, in a sense, to Israel. Not exactly the same in the same way, but he gave man a choice there, verse 15. Deuteronomy 30, 15, he says, See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. So life and good on one side, death and evil on the other. And then I commanded you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in His way and to keep His commandments, His statutes and His judgments. Why? That you may live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. Now, of course, he's talking here in the sense of physical life. But even in this physical life, there are two ways. You can choose life or you can choose death. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go and possess. So he says, verse 19, I call heaven and earth to witness as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death. Life or death. Blessing or cursing. Therefore, he encouraged them to choose life, that both you and your descendants may live. Now, that was a type, you might say, of the overall goal, that we can have life forever, or we can have death forever, we can have blessings forever, or we can have curses, or a curse forever, a curse of just ceasing to exist. In Job, the 14th chapter, Job 14, <coughs> excuse me. Very famous passage that we read oftentimes at funerals. Job 14, verse 14. says, If a man dies, shall he live again? And Job answered his own question. He says, All the days of my hard service I will wait. Notice he says, My hard service. Because life is sometimes pretty tough, isn't it? All the days of my hard service I will wait till my change comes. You shall call and I will answer you. You shall desire the work of your hands. God has a purpose. He is working something out in you and me. And, you know, isn't it encouraging that God describes Himself as our Father, our Heavenly Father, or that Christ described His Father that way? Because God loves Every one of us. We know it says that he loved Jacob and hated Esau, but it was a matter of comparison. But God is giving every every individual at one point or another a chance, either now or in the second resurrection. But God is giving us all a chance. You know, in the the sermonette, I I might just add uh, chapter 8 of Exodus, verse 15. We say that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, but how did he harden his heart? Exactly what was the process? What did he do? Did he go in there and, and, and squeeze his heart somehow? 
In chapter 8, verse 15 of Exodus, it shows that God took the pressure off. He just took the pressure off. That's how he hardened his heart. And when the pressure was gone, it says he, referring to Pharaoh, hardened his heart, his own heart. You know, God is working something out. And as Mr. D. Simone pointed out, he was a very hard hearted individual that God was working with. He knew the man that he had there, that he was a very hard-headed, hard-hearted individual, and so it was quite easy. He just put the pressure on him, and he'd give in and take the pressure off. His heart was hardened once again. Now, we don't know what the ultimate fate of Pharaoh is or a lot of other people, people ask questions about that. But one thing we know is that God truly is fair. And I think we can safely say that everybody in this room, God loves very deeply. And He's fashioning us in, in, our own, in, in His own way. He, he knows somewhat where He wants to put you. Probably has some idea of that already. And so He is putting you through circumstances that are different from the person next to you. Some people have one kind of trial. Others have another kind of trial. And usually it's trials, plural. But he's putting each one of us through a different course, a different school, as it were. The same school in a general sense, but he's allowing different things to happen to us for reasons. And sometimes in this life, it's hard for us to figure out why something happened. But we can look back after a period of time and say, now I understand. Sometimes it's 10 years, sometimes it's 20 years. Sometimes we'll have to wait till the resurrection before we'll understand. But there are things that happen to us that we can't understand right now, and God is working something out. He's allowing things to happen. When He put Joseph, or allowed Joseph to be put in prison, to be sold into slavery, first of all, and then put in prison, it was a period of about 13 years. I'm sure that Joseph was wondering about it at times. Why am I here, especially when I'm doing what's right? But God had something in mind for him, just as he has something in mind for you. And he fashions our hearts individually, not just collectively, but individually as well. He knows each one of us as an individual. And when we get down on our knees and we pray to God, we should recognize that he is he is hearing us, especially if we're putting our hearts in our prayers and we're doing what's right. We're not, you know, a sinner out here that's just neglecting what is right. Yes, we are sinners. We make mistakes. But I'm saying that if we're on the right track, then He hears our prayers. And He answers our prayers accordingly. He's working something out to fashion each and every one of us individually. Job 14 tells us that Job understood that God was working with us, that God would eventually raise him up again. He'd have a desire for the work of his hands, of God's hands. He'd want to see whatever it was that he was doing completed. And Daniel, the 12th chapter, Daniel 12. We see eternal life, the resurrection spoken of 
in various places in Scripture. But Daniel 12, it says that in verse 1, At that time Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even at that time. And at that time your people shall be delivered. Everyone who is found written in the book of life. So we can have our names written in that book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Boy, won't that be an incredible time. All of those people that we've loved over the years that we've known, that we've known have been faithful to God, they're all going to wake up. That cemetery there, I don't know exactly which suburb it is there in Los Angeles, but out of Pasadena, where Mr. and Mrs. Armstrong and various others of the saints are, they're going to wake up. They're going to be, we, we, we kind of guess that they're going to look around and, and, and see each other. Cemetery here where Mr. Pardine is buried and several others from the congregation, I, I believe, they're going to wake up and they're going to look around and see who's there. What a joyous occasion that's going to be when we awake from the earth. Everyone who, and it says, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life. Now, again, we have to take the second resurrection into account and a lot of other things, but the basic answer to it is some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Now notice that part there. It says, and those who turn many to righteousness, because that is our job, is to preach the gospel of the world to baptize people in various countries around the world, wherever we can. You have to take Matthew 28 and Mark 16 and put them together. But it shows that we are to baptize people. We are to put them under the water when they repent, when they accept Christ as Savior. That's our responsibility. We are to turn people to righteousness as well as warn the world. We are to preach the good news of the coming kingdom. But he says that we shall shine like the stars forever and ever. What a wonderful opportunity God gives us. We could turn over to 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. I won't take time for that right now. But we could turn over there and we could see that in the resurrection there will be differences. Some will shine brighter than others. But all will shine brightly. Uh, there will be differences there, but we will have different bodies. A real body. I don't understand it. What is a spirit body? It's a mystery to me. I don't understand what spirit is. I, you know, we, we all have something in our mind, but, but exactly what is spirit? When Christ came back, He ate with the disciples. And we can come to all kinds of questions like, well, how did He digest it? What you know, what happened? I don't want to get too uh, specific, but, you know, you begin to wonder. But he was able to enjoy that. He says, when uh, he, I will no longer drink of the fruit of this vine until I do it anew in the kingdom. What exactly is spirit? It's not going to be physical as we understand it. 
but it's going to be wonderful. Some people think, well, I don't want to be a spirit being. I want to be a physical human being. Well, you ever want to walk through a wall? Do you ever want to have x-ray hearing or x-ray eyes or x- and, and uh, perfect hearing? Would you like to be the discounted $6 million man? I realize that our young people don't know who that is probably. <laughs> One of those movies. Oh, well, you know who Superman is. Would you like to be Superman without the Krypton? I mean, you, 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 you can be because that's what we will be. We'll be able to do things that we could never do in this physical life far more. It's not going to be taking away something. God didn't give us the green beans. I'm sorry, give us the the dessert today and the green beans later on. I mean, green beans are okay, but they're not quite like the dessert for most of us. He's going to give us the dessert later on. And we have the green beans today. In verse 3, says, those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. John, the third chapter, John 3, in the New Testament here, it shows us that this is really what the Bible is really all about. I know that we could also say the Bible is about government, and that's true. It's about the family of God. That's true. But all of it ties together. Without life, none of it will come together. And so here in verse 13, it says, No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent of the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, referring to the, the crucifixion, even so the Son of Man uh, must be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. This was really at the very beginning here, when he's talking to Nicodemus. And he is saying that if you believe in Him, you can have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's what it's about. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. That's what God wants. He wants to save us. This is what the Bible is all about. This is why we're here. This is why we come together every Sabbath. To learn about the goal that God has set before us. The plan that He has for us. His family living on forever and ever. That's what it's all about. Yes, there are other aspects of it. We refer to the government. That's the kingdom of God. But it's all tied together as one message. But without eternal life, there, we, we don't have the kingdom, do we? At least we're not going to enjoy it unless we have it. In Matthew, the 19th chapter, Matthew 19, Now, the last thing I want to do is cause anybody to just think that, well, it's just about me having eternal life. That's not what it's about. It's about us doing a job right now. That's why God's called us today as opposed to a later time. But here in Matthew, the 19th chapter, beginning of verse 27, says that Peter answered and said to him, 
See, we've left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? What's in it for us? And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of His glory, you who have followed Me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for My name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. You know, that was one of the most encouraging passages to me when I first came into the church because my family was not uh, in the church. My sister eventually did. At the time, she was with some other group, but nevertheless, uh, my parents were not excited about these new truths. And so I left home a little bit earlier than I might have otherwise. And in a sense wrote off family for a time, although we came back together at a later time, but left that. And yet God gave me new parents, new brothers and sisters and so forth as time went by. But he says if we left brothers and sisters or fathers or mother, wife or children, he's going to give us a hundredfold, in other words, in this life, but also and inherit eternal life. That's what God has offered to us. That's a wonderful thing that He's given, that He's called us for. In Psalm 90, it tells us that we should do something with this knowledge. This is not something that should just be an academic exercise. In Psalm 90, and verse 10, says, but the days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength they are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow. Sounds like Jacob. For it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. And so verse 12 is the lesson here. He says, so teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to recognize the shortness of life, to number our days, and to recognize that there is something that we should do with the time that we are spending here on this earth. We could turn over to Ephesians, the fifth chapter, where it talks about redeeming the time. Redeeming the time. Also, Colossians, the fourth chapter, verses 2 to 6. Again, it speaks of redeeming the time. In John, the sixth chapter, let's turn over there, John 6, beginning in verse 7. It says, Philip answered him, it says, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them... Uh, may have a little. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a lad here who has five, five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among many? And so Jesus made them sit down, and he handed out the, the uh, food. Now, a little bit later, I got the wrong verse, no wonder. <laughs> uh, John 6, verse 26, that's where I want to go. Uh, Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly I say to you, 
say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life. So we can labor in this life for a lot of physical things. It's not wrong to enjoy the, the things that God has made available to you. But what is the focus of our lives? Is it laboring for the food that perishes? That's what most people are doing in this world. They're just living from one day to the next. But he says, but labor for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal on him. So that's what God wants us to have. You know, in Hebrews, the 11th chapter, Hebrews 11, we're all familiar with that chapter. It's a faith chapter. But I'd like to read just a little here, verse 35. It says, Women received their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. It goes through this long list of people who exercised faith, and it gets down to just listing one after another, Gideon and Barak and Samson and so forth. And he says, the women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. That's what they were looking for, a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. You know, this is not fun. Of whom the world was not worthy. The world is not worthy of these individuals who sacrificed so much. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. And there will be those who come after us that can look back, hopefully, on us in the same way that the world is not worthy of the example that we've set. Death is ever-present. Not one can know that he will see. Not one of us in this room can know that we will see the sunrise tomorrow. Now, for most of us, we will. It would be quite a disaster that would come upon this city if we didn't. Most of us, perhaps every one of us, will see the sun come up tomorrow. And we'll see the sun set. And we'll see many sunrises and sunsets in the future. But at some point, at some point, we come to the end of all this that is physical. And when that point comes, how we've lived our lives, the choices that we've made, are suddenly going to become very important. I'd like to finish with Psalm 16. Psalm 16. sometimes does us good to have a reality check and to recognize that no matter what our age, this is something we need to think about just a, a bit. We don't want to overly dwell on it. We'd become pretty, pretty morose if we did. 
But at the same time, we need to recognize the reality of this existence that we have. Verse 9, Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. David said his soul or his flesh would rest in hope. We've been looking at that hope today. And what is that hope? And this is, of course, a prophecy of Christ, but it referred to David as he was writing it in the original intent. But it was a prophecy of Christ. It says, For you will not leave my soul in Sheol or the grave, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Well, we know that physically David was corrupted, but Christ was not. But nevertheless, he would not leave life in the grave. You will show me the path of life in your presence. And this is where it leads. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. 